Welcome to Padmuchu, Armenian History Podcast. Padiyagak Padmuchu, Hayots Padmuchiana Podcaster. Welcome, Padiyagak. Welcome back. Welcome back. Padigalust. <laughs> I'm Peter Hajinian. I'm uh, Father Tadios Barserian. And we're here today to talk about Moses Kornatsi. Moses or Moses? Moses Khori, Nazi. That's what I'm used to, but sometimes he's called also in English Moses of Khori, because Khori Nazi means being from, uh, from, that, from that place, right? Khori. Right, Khori. right. So who is he? So in the late 5th century, uh, Moses Kornatsi wrote the history of the Armenians, and he's known as the father of Armenian history. And his book is still, still referenced today and still revered today. And I've read an English translation. It's very interesting. Definitely right. recommend it. What's interesting about, uh, about this or uh, why we chose Moses Khoenazi is because um, he was the first one to write complete history of Armenia. Yeah. Starting from the ancient times, from the beginning of Armenian nation to his days. Or, uh, or not necessarily to his days, to the, to the time when Armenia was divided between... Uh, between uh, Roman Empire and Persia. So, so he thought that kind of 387, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he thought that was the tragic time. It was a difficult time. And, and he was writing, he was residing, he was living in the Persian Armenia, Persian side of Armenia. Yeah. And then the book ends with a, with a lament, kind of, with Vokh, Vokh, as we say in Armenian. And he's lamenting all the difficulties of the society that is not the same anymore. It's you know, all the different uh, levels of society and people and starting from the king and catholicos and, and priests and judges and nacharars, ministers and everybody, every level of yeah. the society is talking about. But what is interesting is that he's the father of Armenian history. He was yes. the first one that he wrote complete history of Armenia. Yeah. Right? As, as somebody said some time ago, uh, he, gave a, he gave a birth certificate to Armenians. Huh? That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's set the scene. What was kind of going on around this time when when the world that Moses was born into and and lived in? Well, in 404 AD, Mesrob Mashtot was divinely inspired to invent the Armenian alphabet. So we're going to do a podcast on him at some point. Mm -hmm. The, despite not having their own alphabet, this is the first time Armenian letters were invented, but we've had the languages around for a long time, so it was a very rich language. We just didn't have our own alphabet. So what it meant was that there was not a lot translated or written in Armenian. Right. It was people, if they would read the Bible, it would be the Greek Bible. Or Assyrian. You know, or Assyrian. So the other thing that's going on, and, and Father Tadeus, who touched on this, Armenia lost its independence in 387 A.D., so now it's again the battle between the East versus West. Mm-hmm. And this pull of East-West, which always plays a role in Armenian history, plays a role in what happens to Moses later on in his life. Right. It was a difficult time because it was the first time Armenia was divided between you know, East and West, Roman Empire. And basically what happened was that uh, it was one nation, Armenians, uh-huh. but they were being influenced by two different cultures. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, of course, you realize what happens uh, then is that uh, then they become two different people, uh-huh. right? If, if the culture is different, 
then people are somehow, they have difficult time relating to yeah. each other. So uh, but by creating Armenian alphabet, this, this was important and crucial. This was one thing that can unify these people again. They could bring them together. Right. And that's why uh, uh, Metro Mashtos and Sahak Bartev, by the way, our, our church in Minnesota carries the name of Sahak Bartev, yeah. St. Sahak. Uh, we, are, we are called after, named after him, St. Sahak. They go to a Byzantine side. They go to, a, to, the, uh, to the king on the other side, and they ask them to open schools in that side of Armenia too. Mm. So they started schools in Armenia, right? In the yeah. Persian Armenian, Western Armenia. And Moses Khoinazi was one of the students. One of the students. There's a number of students that, that are famous in Armenian history and noted David Anhacht and Katholikos Kud and a couple of different ones. Mm. But he must have been more than just a student at one of the schools. Moses must have been one of the star pupils, mm -hmm. right? Correct? He was probably one of the smartest students. That's why he was sent to another. You yeah. don't send a somebody who is, <laughs> who is not smart, smart to another, right. especially at that time when everything was so expensive. Yeah, everything's you know. expensive, and, and it's sending them into I mean, a not, not compared to not the education. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, <laughs> not compared to college today. I mean, it was still expensive, tuition, but it's not expensive. It's not a, with college tuition, that time you could take care of the entire kingdom. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, but, so let's get back to back, back, back to history. Uh, so Mesut Mashtos, Catholicos Bartev sent. They were translating the Bible into Armenian, mm -hmm. and uh, you know and I, they would go from one village to another, right? Uh, trying to open schools. Yeah, and then uh, and then Mofsis Khoinazi was um, was from um, Daron Kavar. Taron region, right? Uh -huh. Because there is a village in Taron region called Khorian. So basically, they are people, assume, scholars assume that he was from that village because that's the only village. Now, there are two other regions that they claim that Moses Khoinansi was from, from them, from there, from there. There is another village similar to that in Sunik, southern Armenia today. Uh -huh. And there is another village with similar name in Javakh, in today's Georgia. In okay. southern Georgia was part of Armenia, Javakh. They also claim that Moses Khoinasi was from there, but but I think the accepted theory is that he was from Turuberan, from Daron Nakavar uh, village, Khorian. Khorian. And so that's they, why they opened a school probably there too. Yeah. And that's why he, um, he went to school probably there. So they sent his, these star pupils to Alexandria and to Antioch, but you know Moses went to Alexandria, which was a huge center of learning, the Alexandrian Library in Egypt, you know, on the Mediterranean. But you know, why did they send them to these centers of learning? Well, because uh, they had the alphabet, but they had no writings, they had nothing, okay. yeah. and they had no experts who could translate things for them. Yeah. So they they thought, well, we need to have uh, educated. Uh, experts, we need to have educated people who can translate all these works into Armenian. And they also needed to uh, kind of, uh, again, translate the Bible and make it even better. Yeah. The, the, the purpose of the invention of alphabet was to translate the Bible, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so they decided to send some of the students to Alexandria. And Alexandria was an important center of Christianity at that time. Yeah. And education. You know, there was Jerusalem, the first seat of Christianity, yeah. because it was the center. But he was always kind of more of a, because Christ came to Jerusalem, that's why he was. But Alexander was the second, yeah. you know. And then 
in the Roman Empire in Byzantium and Constantinople was built, uh -huh. Constantinople needed to be on the list too. So they pushed down Alexandria in order for Constantinople to be second or third. Okay. And Rome was more of a kind of political center. That's why he, he was... Uh, but the center of education, but yeah. the center, and Alexandria had a huge library too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they wanted to translate the books, and Alexandria had a library. It's, it's interesting, and, and that's I mean that's where Moses spent his twenties. Was he spent a you know a number of years, five, six, seven years in Alexandria, learning and studying, and you think that that must really you know form a person too, who he was. Mm -hmm. You know, here he is coming from, you know, village, village. We're not even sure where exactly this village is, but he's coming from a village, and now he ends up in the center of world learning in Alexandria. Right. I imagine the person he became is, is you know, his, he's really given up a lot. He's given up his whole life mm -hmm. for this purpose to become a translator, to, you know, to become somebody, a man of letters and a man of, the you know, right. words, um, which I think is what makes it so dramatic when he returns to Armenia, and it's not a very good homecoming. <laughs> yeah, he's not very, not welcome at all because it, by the time he when he comes back, the Persians have taken over. Really, correct? Yeah, uh, Persians Persians were they were always in control uh, that part of Armenia, mm -hmm. I think. But now Persians they start influencing the church too, mm -hmm. um, and and Mesopotamia was dead when yeah. he comes home. Yeah, and Sagbate yes. was that. Yeah, his two teachers are dead. The two teachers are dead, and he talks about it in, uh, in his book. Yeah, and he's uh, he says instead of coming home, and dancing in, uh, uh, in in weddings and having parties and having fun, I had to come to your uh, uh, to your grave and to and to cry to to kind of he was sad for him probably that to learn that his teachers, the ones who sent him to go to study, they were gone anymore and. And they didn't have the support that used to have. Yeah. So probably uh, the church leadership was changed. Yes. And um, and imagine this is the Persian side, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and they're Zoroastrian. They're not Christian. Yeah, they're not Christian, but they pushed Assyrian priests, mm -hmm. Assyrian influence upon the Armenian church. So the leadership has changed, and, and church was overtaken kind of by. Um, by uh, some of the Assyrian leaders. And, uh, so those who studied somewhere else, and especially in Hellenistic world, those yeah. who studied in the West, or uh, those who had Greek education, or they were not welcome back. Yeah. They were not welcome, I think. And that's how Saint, Saint I mean, he's a saint in the church, too, in, uh, in Armenia. Moses Choynazi, he felt, too. Yeah. He escaped, or mm -hmm. he didn't escape, but he ran away to a mm -hmm. small village in the mountains. Do we know where that village is, or the? Science, the scholars they say it was not far from Echmiadzin, so okay. probably in the near. But he didn't go back to his uh, village. No, he didn't return to he, his he home. He didn't know where that village was. <laughs> well, I mean, he, probably, he didn't know where it was. <laughs> he says in Georgia. Is it <laughs> he probably also. I mean, he spent. He just spends six, seven, eight years in you know cosmopolitan Alexandria. He probably didn't want to go back home. He yeah. must not have had family or. He must not. He clearly wasn't close with his family. But if he his, didn't want to go back, he wouldn't. I think yeah. he could have just changed his immigration status. Same status. Same status. <laughs> but I think he wanted to go into uh, to change something. Yes. But it's always it's always difficult when you have 
when you go and you're educated someplace else and you have these all these ideas and uh-huh. you have all this education, you go to a place that is not ready for that. Yeah. You always find yourself in difficult situation. You yeah. always find yourself among, you know, you have all this light that you're you're ready to bring. I mean, you know, very often it ended very bad for many people who, who had this different illumination to bring. And yeah. it ended with, uh, you know, with death for a lot of people. Um, but he had this, uh, he had this uh, knowledge and yeah. he wanted to, you know, bring that up. He wanted to show that. He wanted to share that. But the people around him, they were not mm-hmm. accepting. They were not ready. And it happens to many people. Sometimes mm-hmm. I talk to... Uh, even these days, I talk to Armenians, let's say, who go to and they study in Harvard, they study in Cambridge, and other places, Oxford. And when they come back, they feel that it's it's hard. You know, I, I don't I don't know if you if you if you understand if you if you know what I mean. But yeah. it's 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 not it's it's very difficult sometimes to share your knowledge when you have this high education. You come back home, and the, yeah. it, there is no people people don't care. Yeah, they say, "Oh, so what?" You know, "Oh, you can read Greek and Latin, blah blah blah." You know, who cares? Who cares about that? Yeah, maybe in in in, in this country is different. You know, United States is different. You know what they say? Uh, this isn't an American saying, but you know, uh, a prophet is never welcome in his hometown. You know, yeah. and it's that I think it's that kind of a thing. Yeah, and I, you know, you you, that's also I think the the beauty at the center of this story. We'll get to why I, I like this so much, but. You know, he he was clearly a very intelligent man, very intelligent, you know, highly educated. So up in this village, he spends, you know, he returns. He's probably late 20s, maybe 30 at the latest. Mm-hmm. He spends at least the next 30 years, the prime of his life, in a in a cave, you know, or in a small ho- a hovel, small house in the small village, just translating Greek works into Armenian, just by himself. Right. Just not, you know, no audience. He just, this is what he was made to do. This is what he, you know, trained his whole life to do. This is what his gifts were for. Trained, right. And and nothing. Until he was in his 60s, and that's when Catholicos Gut, that's how you say it, right? Gut? Gut. Gut. Catholicos Gut comes to the area. Now, they're both classmates. They both were friends. But Catholicos Gut, he went through the system, and he rose up the ranks of the priesthood and became a Catholicos. And he comes in, into the village, and he discovers Moses Kornazis there. How does yeah. he discover him? Well, I think for our listeners, probably it'll be interesting to un- some. Some maybe will 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 have the question: Well, why can't he just sit in his room and translate and and, and, and write all these books? Well, at that time, it was not that easy. In order for you to to write a book, you had to have a sponsor. You had to. It was really uh, expensive to write. Because they somebody had to create all these books, somebody had yeah. to all these pages and everything. They were not paper pages; they were, you know, on the it was skin. Vellum. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah of, the uh, skin. Animals, and uh, so it was. Even if he, he couldn't, he could do it in his mind, but he couldn't write it. And the, you needed to have a sponsor, mm-hmm. and and usually it was one of the kings who would sponsor because they were the only ones who were able to do that. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's why it was difficult for him to do any of that. He he, he couldn't yeah. do it. So the, the sponsors that he was going to have, St. Mesrop and Sagbartev, they were gone. Yeah. Know? So the education that he had was kind of useless. It was useless, yeah. At that time, he couldn't use it. He couldn't, he couldn't put it in good use. Uh, but he was, I think, 
doing some research and, 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 uh, and, and writing about some events and he, he wrote some hymns, shotguns, huh. that we still, we still sing in Armenian church wow. to this day. Uh, he wrote many hymns. But he also wrote the story of St. Hripsimians, mm. the nuns who came to Armenia. Yeah. So before the history of Armenia, he wrote a few things before that. And one of them was the history of nuns, Hripsimians, Hripsiman, Kayane, all these nuns that came from Rome and to escape persecution ended up in Armenia. And then um, they kind of brought the light of uh, Christianity to Armenia. But good goes village to village. There is a reception, yeah. large, uh, <laughs> probably. <Yeah. laughs> there is a gathering of people. And according to the legend, they ask, uh, there is this kind of elderly looking man. And, yeah. But probably villagers knew that this man is, is smart. Yeah, you know, yeah. he, he knows how to speak. Yeah. So they asked him to say a toast, yeah. according to the legend. That's one thing. You know, most of the things we know about Moses Khoinasi are legends. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> he, he's not writing about himself as the father of history. I mean, None he's of them they did. About, no, they didn't. Yeah. There were more important things for them to talk about. Yeah. So he gives a toast. We don't know what he says in the toast. He, he, the, the only thing, according to a legend, he gives the toast in a fashion, in a manner, and, and rhymes as an Armenian hymn and shotgun from okay. the church. So Gud comes close and he recognizes wow. Moses. Imagine that. Yeah. And then they have a conversation. They, they reunite and they talk. Yeah. And Gud convinces him to come back with him to the court where the king becomes his sponsor. Well, he, uh, he convinces or, him to move back to, uh, to the church, kind of, to yeah, come back to yeah. the church. And he gives him a position. He's ordained, you know, as a, as a, as a head of the diocese of, of that time, I think. Uh, and then there was this Nacharash. Yeah. I don't know if you, how do you call it? Minister? Wait, or, because um, minister is not a good translation. Nacharash were Nacharash, it's not so quite just to prince, give an idea. Yeah, yeah governor, prince, governor or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good, good translation. Because we're yeah. vassals of... Persia, right? Yeah. We didn't have a, so there was no king. We weren't allowed was, to have kings. But we, but we would have some, somebody, maybe. you know, yeah, somebody that was uh, placed as a, as a, as a, you know, ruler of Armenia at that time. Yeah. So there was this, uh, but the families were there. Yeah. All these important the Armenian families, family, royal families, and one of them was Bagratuni. Yeah. Right, Bagratuni family, and uh, and the head of the Bagratuni family at that time was Sahak. He had a professor. At the seminary, yeah, <laughs> and and he would tell the stories like he was eyewitness the story. He was he was there. <laughs> so he says, Sag Bagratuni comes to the to the Catholicos of the time. He comes to Catholicos good, and he says, <laughs> We have no book about our history. What are you going to do about it?" <laughs> 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 and then Gud says, I have somebody who can write the history of, of, of Armenia. Yeah, he says, and then, so they get this. I just ran into <laughs> my best, the guy who sat next to me in grammar class with Mesro Mashtots. So yeah. they commissioned him to... Uh, to write the history of the Armenians. So in his 60s, in his at least oh, early yeah, 60s, late. late 60s, this guy who thought his whole life was lost and all of his potential was spoiled and wasted gets his big break and he writes the comprehensive history of the Armenians, which they were still using, you know, I mean, still today we still reference it as text, right. but it was like the defining book for, you know, 1,500, 1,600 years at least.
let's talk about the books. First of all, um, he incorporates legendary times. So right. the story there is three of chapters Heinrich. in a book, yeah, right? Three there is three, three or uh, chapters, right? Three, mm -hmm. and then Wurp, and then lament at and the then end. Lament, but the first chapter is beginnings. The beginnings. So this is kind of some of the legends, Haig and Ada the Beautiful, and and Shamiram and, and the, this this Aram or all of that. Yeah, this is where we get. This is our main source for our, the legends of Armenia. One he, one thing that we learned that he did was. Uh, he, he did a lot of research, and he went village to, from village to village, and he, uh, he, he saw the uh, old Armenian cities and towns and places that everything took place. And of course, probably he knew a lot of the stories, but he learned from villagers and people. He listened to them singing and telling the stories, and he was able to write everything. Now, he studied the, probably the Greek sources and, and uh -huh. Latin sources of the time, probably not much, but... Uh, uh, but also Assyrian sources too, and and he did a comparison of all of this, and he was able to uh, come up with what what he thought was a comprehensive, what he thought was the true story of uh, of, of Armenians uh, of the time. And then Gusans had a Gusans are are people like singers, like yeah. folk singers, troubadours, so, or yeah. they go village to village and sing songs and and histories and jokes right. and and that kind of. They're the entertainment. Yeah, but they were part of the oral tradition of mm -hmm. the time, right? They were, uh, so he learned from them too. Yeah, he, and he used that as a source. Not probably, uh, uh, probably not a credible source, but no. But that's that's also he's our only window into what Gusans were singing mm -hmm. about and kind of talking about because he would reference you know you might have heard this from you know right. Gusan before but here's how the story goes and this is what's true and mm -hmm. that part of that probably mostly get exaggerated and they changed mm -hmm. and what's chapter two well about the the kings about Artaxerxes uh, dynasty about all of all of that and then chapter three is also continuing the story. Um, if you know the uh, the greatness of Moses Choinazi is uh, is when you when you think about greatness of somebody, you uh, you you consider them uh, being compared to the ones his predecessors, and so the difference is that you know there were about five historians around that time, five or six century, right? Yeah. Fourth, fourth, fifth century. There is uh, Agatang Yeros, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Who wrote only about Christianity, only a, a adoption of Christianity in Armenia. Yeah. That's about 20 years of history. 20. There is Paphtos Buzant, who writes only about 30 years of history. Mm -hmm. And only about certain region, Tarun Gavar, Turuberan. Okay. Uh, there is Ghazar uh, Parpeci, uh -huh. who writes about uh, another 30 or 50 year history of Armenia. Uh, there is Yerishe, who specifically writes only about one event, yeah. about Battle of Avarais. That's yeah. it. And then there is Koryun. Yeah. Who writes only about one person, <laughs> only about about Master Master. Very very focused topics <laughs> these guys hit on. <laughs> one event, one person. <laughs> I'm going to cover only twenty years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> so Moses Khoinazi said, no, that that's that's not how I'm going to do it. He writes the complete history, the comprehensive history. So that's his greatness. He was the first one to write about. Yeah. And then, for another. How many centuries? How many? Ten or twelve centuries? Nobody else did that no, we, yeah. until we got to Mikhail Chamchan, yeah. another Armenian historian in Saint Lazar in 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 in, in Italy in yeah. Vatican, who was the next one who did Armenian history. Mm. So for yeah. many years there was nobody in between even to write about. 
Yeah. You know. The language. Now, you know, reading the translation in English, you lose something in the translation. But he was writing, he was not only writing in Armenian, he was writing in classical Armenian. In old Armenian, classical Kudapash, as we say. How do you say it? Kudapash. Kudapar. Kudapar. That's the language we use in church today. It's the church language. It's, it's the language of the golden age of mm-hmm, Armenian. Mm-hmm. So when you read it, does it is there a, is there a poetry to it? Is there a flow to it? Is the you know parts how does of it... part part of uh, some parts of it are poetry. Uh, some parts are really difficult to understand. You know, I, I studied Karapar for uh-huh. about six years in seminary. Yeah, um, and and then the rest of my life too when I used Karapar. But part of it is difficult to understand. Vokhb is written in a in more poetic okay. uh, manner. And, uh, but most of it is just his history written in a very uh, classical language of the time. One thing I've been curious about is well, another father of history is Herodotus. And he wrote in the 4th century BC. He was a Greek writer. And they say before Herodotus, he's known as the father of history and the father of lies. And the, <laughs> really? reason, the reason is, is before that, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they would just write, you know, it was the first year of the king's reign. He went to this country and conquered it and brought back 10,000 of this and 4,000 of this. Uh, the next month he had a party with it. And it was, it's all very, it's almost like an accountant writing numbers and very specific short sentences that are, this is exactly what happened. Herodotus was the first historian who tried to paint a picture, and they call him like the first, you know, it's cinematic. He's telling you mm-hmm. anecdotes and trying to set the scenes and describe, you know, the color of the ocean as the, you know, Greeks were sailing over it to conquer the Persians and this and that. But that's also why he's called the father of lies, because it feels like it's embellished. Is the uh, history of the Armenians, Moses Kornazi's work, where is it? Does it strike a balance between straight history and a little bit of trying to paint the picture of the history? There is definitely both. There is definitely. When I said he, was, he, was, he went to one region to another, um, there are descriptions in the book of different uh, cities of the, of the time, of different fortresses. Yeah. He has, you know, beautiful descriptions and very nice descriptions of how beautiful the river was, was going, the queen and all of that. So there are part of parts in the book when, when he describes the scene, when he describes the, uh, before describing the event, he would talk about the area, he would talk about the city, he would talk about a fortress, he would talk about a castle. Uh, so there is a lot of description too, and and he was he kept a, kept balance too. He was not just describing one event after another. This is what happened. His son came, took over, then that, that he did this yeah. and that. No, he has um, he's a good writer, and he had he had a structure too. He okay. had four or five components that need to be part. He said there is no history without timeline, we, mm-hmm. we, chron- Chronolo- chronology, chronological kind of structure. Yeah. Uh, so there needs to be a timeline for everything. Mm. And second is there, is there needs to be a place mm-hmm. where all of that happened. Third, there needs to be a person when all of that happened. And then there needs to be a reason yeah. for all of that to happen. So he had all this idea. In every history he writes, everything comes together with these four or five components. You know, yeah. time and, uh, you know, uh, the place and a person and, and history. And what does it have to do with us today, yeah. you know? Um, so he had all these ideas, and all the history that he's writing is, is based on that, too, I think. Wow. Yeah. You've read, how many times have you read the history of the Armenians? I had probably a couple of times during seminary, and then when I graduated. I read in, uh, in modern Armenia, but I tried a few times to read in, uh, in uh, I read parts of it in, uh, 
in Karapar. In, in Karapar. And we had tests in Karapar too from his books. And, wow. And the most famous line from his books is Tepedevem Katsu Pokers, which means although we are a small nation, and he was very realistic too. Yeah. You know, that's one thing about him that he realized who we are. Yeah. He, he didn't say, you know, a lot of the writers of the time, even Roman, as you, as you said, Father of Lies. <laughs> yeah. They would say, oh, I mean, they had a reason to, to boast about it. Uh, yeah. But, but a lot of other writers, when they talk about, oh, he was the, the ruler of the world. He was yeah. the least. Yeah. He was the, the most gracious. Or, but he was realist. He said, we are, we are a small nation. Yeah. What's the phrase? Tebet evem katsu pokal. Tebet yevem katsu means nation. Yeah. Pokal means small. Yeah. Uh, he said, we, although we are a small nation, but even though, even in our small nation, there were things that happened that are worthy of us to write down about them, to, to pass them to yeah. next generation. So that's why he did that. That's yeah. beautiful. And that's to compare him to the father of lies and father of history. <laughs> I don't think there, there, are, there are many parallels. <laughs> there are not many parallels, but I think what's interesting about that is that's such a uh, beautiful, humble sentiment, but it's also saying this still matters. We're mm-hmm. small, but it still matters. Herodotus, the history of uh, his book, um, Histories, is like 900 pages long. Oh, my goodness. The first 700 pages are to tell you how amazing the Persians are. So then he can tell you in the last 200 pages how amazing it is that the Greeks beat them in one battle defending against Greece. And so the whole thing, you realize, is just a setup for him to say, the great, this, they're so great, they're amazing, they're the greatest country in the world, and we beat them. <laughs> and by the way, and by we, the way, we beat them. And there's none of that in Moses Kornanzi. <laughs> so right there, I think there's no... Uh, I think that's something to be proud of. There is the greatness of Moses. Moses, Moses, So, what does it mean? What does he mean to you? What is what? What he means to me is, uh, I think, this um, you know perseverance that he had. This this wonderful educated man, this wonderful educated priest, even being a. Being a priest, you know, uh, knowing a little more about uh, religious uh, circles, and uh, um, I'm amazed at his, you know, endurance, and you know, I I, I understand him totally. What yeah. he went, what he went through, and difficulties that he had, um, and his uh, how humble he was, and how educated and smart, and and he basically gave us uh, our birth certificate, as I said from the beginning. He gave. He taught us who we are mm-hmm. as a nation. And if, if he didn't write, I mean, who knows yeah. what would have happened. Yeah. So he's like, a, he's like another uh, savior of Armenians. He saved our nation by writing this story, yeah. by writing this history. And nobody else was uh, you know, there to do that for many centuries after him. Yeah. And his book was you know, number one New York Times bestseller for, <laughs> for, a, for, long time. for a long time. For a long time in a, in a bookshelf. Yeah. Uh, but what I mean by that is uh, he, was, uh, he was this smart man and highly educated, very humble uh, and wonderful and great. And, and he was able, against all the odds, he was able to do something beautiful that until now um, is, a, is a treasure, is, a, is important book and document, his birth certificate for all of us. Being no matter, Armenia or diaspora, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you? To me, it... And you uh, read, you read in English. I read it, and it's, you know, it's in, 
it's really important. I'm impressed with the comprehensive history to have somebody that incorporates the legendary times because, again, if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have most of those legends. They wouldn't have probably survived through the centuries or we wouldn't have them to the details that we have them in. But the other thing that, that to me, I love about this story is this, the, he got his big break in his 60s. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking about what that conversation must have been like when Katolikos Gut recognized him and they talked. And, you know, after all that time, after all that, you know, to go back and then to write something, not just to, you know, go have a, you know, a nice, comfortable job, you know, be a priest in a, in a church where there's other smart people around so you have somebody to talk to and there's food and this. But to, <laughs> but to the, that his potential that he could live his that his potential came to fruition, like that to me is yeah. is a great story. It's a beautiful story, and he's in in Yerevan at the Matanadran. He's statue. Right? He has a statue there, right? And you know, you walk up to it, and it's like it's like something out of the Lord of the Rings. It's this beautiful building <laughs> and there's these statues of these and they look like either kings or warriors and you realize they're all just writers. Yeah. And, there's, and there he is, Moses Kornazzi is a writer. And it's, I think it's a, it's a beautiful tribute to him. It's yeah. a really, really interesting thing to see. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, he's an amazing uh, writer, an amazing uh, Armenian that was able to give this uh, wonderful book to us. Yeah. And we encourage our listeners, if you have the translation, English translation, or if you have an Armenian, just go ahead and read the book. Yeah. I think it's, uh, we all have to, as Armenians, and, and even non-Armenians, uh, I mean, it's, it's an important book to read about, about Armenian history, and not only about, uh, he put Armenian history you know, in parallel to world history of the time. Yeah. You know, so you have an idea about yeah. what was going on. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's an interesting book. I guarantee you, you will uh, be inspired to want to learn more about the things that he mentions. Mm-hmm. Just offhand, he'll say something about this, and you'll say, "Well, wait a second. What? Is, that sounds interesting. What? What is that?" And then, you know, that's that's what has inspired a lot of my research in Armenian history. Well, these probably. Uh uh, wraps up our uh, another uh, podcast, another uh, podcast. A wonderful one, and as always, you know, pe- listeners can submit yep. uh, questions and, um, and, of course, suggestions and thoughts, and, and and if you have any topics you'd like us to, to cover and talk about, uh, we'll be more than happy to uh, to consider that. And, yeah, uh, and hope you like it. Yes, thanks for like listening, this, uh, and we would appreciate. Uh, you know, uh, compliments too. <laughs> yes, comments, uh, ratings, all that. Let us know. It all yeah. helps. Yeah. And thank you for being with us. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Shumagatya. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe.